If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. Hello. Thank you for being seated. Thank you for your patience. My name is Tip. I'll be conducting these welcoming seminars. Now, now, hold, hold on. Just let me. <clears throat> there we go. Don't panic. Don't panic. I'm in your head now, but I can't hear your thoughts. So relax. Just listen. This will make the process easier. <clears throat> now, all right. So, you should have read through the Policy and Procedure Manual. You should at least be familiar with the FBC Standard Operating Procedures, and just in case, and because it's required of me, I'm going to review some of the basics that must be adhered to just to be in this room. First off, some basic rules. Officially, there are no weapons, pagers, laptops, smart devices, Number two pencils, iconic cultural images allowed anywhere in the oldest house. It should go without saying, but also prohibited are animals, pastries, cakes, pies, posters, squeaking toys, outside office tools, licorice, VHS tapes, cassette tapes, pictures of females over the age of 73, meals containing fish, teeth not attached to your own face, bird feathers, organ meat, and especially no bonsai trees. There is no smoking allowed anywhere within the oldest house, especially not in the quarry. Do not answer phones that are not assigned to you. Before answering your phone, make sure that the cord has not been cut or removed prior to its ringing. All right. Oh, okay, never mind. There's a backside. If someone or something appears out of place or seems suspicious, do not attempt to interact with it. If possible, avoid looking at the object. Never try to contain a person or item yourself. Notify your immediate supervisor and report to the research sector for interrogation. If you find any doors, passages, hallways to be missing, report to the area supervisor. Do not attempt to use phones that are not yours, if possible. I understand. It's distressing when your department bathroom is misplaced. You'll have to deal with it like an adult. If you are approached outside of the oldest house by a party in regards to the FBC, immediately report back to the oldest house and report to the investigations sector for interrogation. And finally, each of you is wearing an HRA. Do not remove your HRA for any reason. They are now standard issue devices that are required at all times within the oldest house. It's for your own protection. Think of it Think of it as a condom between you and the classified paranatural entities. You know that old saying, if it comes out, wrap it. Well, keep it wrapped at all times around here. All right, good. No questions, I assume. So, welcome to the oldest house. I understand that it might be a little bit overwhelming. You'll get the hang of it. These little seminars are mandatory, and failure to comply with the training outline in your employee file will result in mandatory memory suppression therapy and career termination. Hopefully, you all read the fine print within your contracts. I would so hate to be the bearer of bad news for anyone here. So I assume that we are all on the same page, right? So we're going to begin with basic terminology that will be commonly used during your work, then the history of the FBC. So terminology 101. These are all in your manuals. Feel free to read along and highlight as we go. If something particular catches your eye, please refrain from interrupting, and you can submit questions at a, at a later time. So resonance, our first word. What do I mean when I say resonance? Well, it's, it's far, far more complex than this. But think of resonance as the child of unknowable energies from other dimensions. Think of it as frequencies, waves, vibrations. Think, think of it like my voice. If my voice could change the innate nature of something, 
Resonance, when it comes in contact with a normal everyday object during a major event, creates a paranatural item, something that we call an altered item. More on altered items later, but let's focus on resonance. Resonance impacts more than just simple items. Resonance can create those those world impacting events. Great objects of power. It can have consciousness, sentience, reasoning, desire, and algorithm. Resonance can give power and knowledge to humans. It can whisper in the darkness or it can break your mind in noise. Resonance is within these very walls. It's, it's the reason that we can even walk the oldest house. But if that frightens or confuses you, just remember to take it back. Remember it as my voice, a frequency, a wave, a vibration. If my voice could reshape the world. That's not so bad. That's not so bad, right? That's easy. So let's move on. So paranatural. That term, it, it seems like it should be like a semi-common word in, in the English language, doesn't it? Paranatural, right? Paratrooper, parapsychology, paranormal, paragraph, paradox, paranoia. Not so much the word paranatural, though. Hmm. Para, as a prefix, generally means beside, at the side of, beyond, or abnormal. So, paranatural. In this context, what does it mean? Well, you'll get to decide when you're placed into your departments. It'll, it'll probably vary from sector to sector, to be honest, whether it means beside, beyond, or abnormal. But we use the word paranatural to describe phenomena that defy our own logic and, and our reality as we know it. What we call paranatural phenomena is resonance, impacting our reality. You, you see how we're building. And that's fun, right? It's okay. It sounds fun. It can be fun. It's seeing the world beyond what high school and college taught you about the laws of the universe, an acknowledgement that there's more out there beyond our own reality, beyond our own dimension that, that the common man could, could ever believe there to be. Imagine what this information could do to the established religions of the world. <laughs> Anyways, paranatural occurrences are still an extreme mystery even within the Bureau. Research is done around the clock here to understand the paranatural, though in truth that it, 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 it just may not be possible to understand it, as the paranatural defies our laws of reality. But we do know that the paranatural is linked to the minds of mankind, to our perceptions of reality. It's subjective. It isn't anchored by cause and effect. There, if there's logic to the paranatural, then it doesn't speak to our human brains. So our next term is altered world events, AWEs, and I'll slow down a little bit for this one. Now, during your initial screenings, you were all asked about something that happened in Albany, New York, back in 2006. You got to have yourselves a little dungeon crawler event with pen and paper. Well, let's see. On February 8, 2006, the Bureau had discovered numerous message boards talking about loud noises coming from an abandoned shipping warehouse in Albany, New York. Local law enforcement had discovered multiple bodies in various forms of mutilation. Evidence considered this the doing of a werewolf. What? Why are you laughing? Is it because of the werewolf? What? You don't, you don't think werewolves exist? How about the Wendigo? Or even the possibility of their existence? Can, can you not be swayed? Does this make you uncomfortable? Ghosts, ghouls, the boogeyman that exist in pop culture and the minds of communities are the fuel of realization for resonance for the paranatural. 
And I would have assumed that you would all know that by now. How disappointing. Anyways, anyone who makes it this far scored at least a 73% probability of success relative to your specialization with your handling of that little campaign. Very good. Now, we want that number to be as close to 100% as possible, of course, but we can train you to fill in the blanks. I use the Albany AWE in, in training to subvert expectations to challenge what you think an altered world event would look like. So this is an altered world event. Notice no Godzilla, no kaiju, no alien spaceships. It's a chair in a warehouse surrounded by gore. That item, the, the hand chair, looks like a tacky vintage vanity chair from the 1960s, doesn't it? Well, that chair, under a full moon, attracts and repels whatever may be in its vicinity through gravity manipulation and changes form faster than can be observed through any methods we possess. Thankfully, it was in an isolated, unused shipping warehouse. There wasn't a lot of foot traffic in the area. Now, the circumstances and events that took place around the hand chair are the altered world event. The unwitnessed resonance that gave it purpose, the deaths that were caused, potential leak into public awareness, the process around containing it, those are the altered world event. The chair itself, though, that is what we call an altered item. Next term, altered item. The hand chair. Very simply put, an altered item is a, is a plain, everyday, normal object that has been exposed to or imbued with resonance. How does that happen? How, do, how does an item get programmed to act a certain way through resonance? Well, we don't actually know, of course. And in the FBC, if you, if you don't know something, that's not, it's not something to hide. It's something that you talk about. We do not know the nature of resonance. We do not know how it causes paranatural forces. We do not know how altered world events are quote-unquote chosen, uh, chosen to happen where and when they do. But we do know that resonance, that uh, paranatural forces uh, act off of the collective unconscious of men, though, on, on cultural beliefs, on common mythos and stories, on preconceived notions, on prejudices and biases. Uh, remember one of the rules from the Bureau. No iconic cultural images allowed anywhere in the oldest house. So we are surrounded by resonance here. Imagine if we allowed a crucifix on the grounds and it won the resonance lottery or an Easter bunny or Santa Claus. It most assuredly would not play out the way that we would logically expect it to, but oh, the possibilities. It's terrifying. Dream logic applied to the American flag. Our collective acknowledgement funneling energy into those items. But it's, it's important to remember, an altered item does not have a mind of its own. It's not going to recognize you. It's not going to hunt you, probably. It's like resonance, resonance programs an altered item based on what we feed into it. Is it starting to come together better? Is it starting to make a bit more sense? All right, good. On to our next term, which is place of power. This one should be pretty easy because you're in one. The oldest house is a place of power. It's not so scary, is it? At least not now. The oldest house used to be wily and, and untamed. It was dangerous and it was, it was unpredictable. But we can talk more about the history of the oldest house later. A place of power is created, like an altered item, 
when a paranatural phenomenon or a force acts upon it, except a place of power, it does seem to possess its own unique set of rules. A mind of its own, I guess you could say. The laws of our reality don't apply to a place of power. Now, don't worry too much over places of power, at least on a professional level. I only have clearance to discuss two known places of power. You, you need to know of them, but you don't need to worry over them. There are very special uh, rituals and research departments dedicated to that, and I don't believe that anyone here is, is going to be assigned to them. In the same vein, I'll throw in another term, thresholds. Thresholds are when other dimensions are attuned to the frequencies of resonance on Earth, and, and a bridge of sorts is formed between them. Think of it like two doors from two different worlds perfectly aligning so that they can freely open them. And a few of you may actually take to studying these thresholds in your time here. So if, you're, if you are one of those people, keep me in mind when you do. I'm always open to theory and ideas on these things, especially after the wake incident in Washington State back in 2010. Okay, so last Terminology 101 items for today. We've got a twofer here. We have para-utilitarians and objects of power. And these two are, they're sort of tough and they're sort of vague. So all objects of power are altered items, but not all altered items are objects of power. Remember that. Objects of power are set apart from other altered items in that, well, number one, they're more powerful, but number two, objects of power can be synced with and used by para-utilitarians. A para-utilitarian, very basically put, is an individual that can sync to and use particular objects of power or multiple objects of power. So our, our current director, uh, Jesse Faden, is a para-utilitarian, as is her brother. And for example, her gun. Maybe you've seen it. Her gun is an object of power. If I tried to pick it up, I would die. If you tried to pick it up, you would die. The director before Jesse was also a para-utilitarian, Zachariah Trench, as was the director before him, Broderick Northmore. Objects of power are also intrinsically linked to the board. I, I, I can't tell you a lot about the board, at least not yet due to confidentiality, though maybe if you pass your first rounds of on-site training and testing, then maybe we'll discuss it. Um, but what I can tell you is that they are very vested in the success of the Bureau and objects of power are chosen to be so specifically and specially by the board. All right. That was fun, right? Less than 15 minutes. We've all learned a thing or two about the Bureau and I bet it was just riveting. So to follow up on the excitement of Terminology 101, let's talk about some history. Hmm? Just some simple, basic history of the Federal Bureau of Control. So you'll hear a lot of rumors and myths about where the Bureau came from, but they're really just, just that, myths and rumors. There's no official records on where the Bureau even came from. It could have been a response to the psychotronics program of the Soviet Union. It could have been an arm of MKUltra. It could have started in Nazi Germany. Louis Armstrong's trumpet could have been an object of power. Who knows? So when Jerry from Archives starts telling you that his great-great-great-uncle was a founding member of the Bureau back in 1927, don't 
pay any attention to him. In fact, report it because we don't actually have anyone in archives named Jerry as per bureau policy. But the bureau existed before it was called the Federal Bureau of Control, as it's more it was more of an occultic collection of minds interested in the in the arcane and esoteric than actual scientific studies. Think Aleister Crowley rather than Sherlock Holmes. But by the mid-1950s, the Bureau came to exist as the Federal Bureau of Control, now funded and integrated into the United States government as a clandestine agency that both does and does not exist on an international platform. But you may ask, why did this happen? Well, as the world became more interconnected, Events that defied explanation within the limitations of our reality began to threaten the collective unconscious of mankind. There was a threat that things beyond our dimension and the understandings of the everyday common man were becoming more known and the consequences for reality-bending events could be very fracturing to the ego of mankind, not to mention the threat of upsetting the balance of power in the world government. So, does that make sense? No? Okay. It usually doesn't. Um... Weird things were happening, and people could communicate those weird things more easily as technology advanced. That could be bad. Events that would break the laws of, of science. It could freak people out. It could give foreign enemies powerful items to wage war. Economies and governments could be toppled. Social unrest and such. Maybe even, maybe even an apocalypse? Is that easier to digest? All right. All right. Good. There we go. That's easier to digest. The apocalypse. Yeah, good. Okay. Let's move on. This man is our first documented director of the FBC, Theodore Ash Sr. So in present day, directors are, of, of course, they're chosen by the board, the ritual of the director's gun. Perhaps something we'll talk about at a later time. But Director Ash was appointed to his position. And the reason he was appointed through the U.S. government was because the, the board wasn't a part of the bureau at the time. We'll just keep things Nice and simple for now. So Director Ash served in that position in Washington, D.C. until 1964. Director Ash was rather eccentric. An Indiana Jones of the Strange and the Unexplained, a pioneer of paranatural research. And he treated it as a, as a beautiful communion of, of science and the sacred. So don't let that fancy suit and tie fool you. During his tenure as director, the fledgling Federal Bureau of Control began to take custody of altered items and had responded to at least three altered world events. And his son, Dr. Theodore Ash Jr., was the head of research. When Director Ash died in 1964, Broderick Northmore succeeded him. A few weeks after Director Ash's death, an altered world event was suspected to be taking place somewhere in the New York City subway system. Dr. Ash, the deceased director's son, was a part of the team that investigated that particular AWE, and what they found was the oldest house. It was different back then. It was more wild and chaotic, more dangerous, but this place of impossible size and shifting corridors, it was right there in plain sight. Yet it was still imperceptible from the streets of New York. Anyone, anyone could see it, but no one saw it. It was hiding in plain view. It was there all along. It's amazing, isn't it? And Dr. Ash found ley lines in the foundation of the oldest house, what we would call paranatural energies now. Though ley lines has like a, has a fantastical sound to it, doesn't it? Something magical. Dr. Ash was able to create control points to stabilize areas of the oldest house with the ley lines. 
It was slow, and it was a dangerous process, and through his research, the parts of the oldest house that we now reside in were stabilized, and the FBC set up shop here. The new director, Broderick Northmore, found the service weapon of the directors down in the foundation of the oldest house, and when he picked it up, well, that was the first time that a director had made contact with the board on the astral plane. It was the first time that the director communicated with them. I hope you're keeping up with this. That gun, as I said earlier, it's, it's an object of power, only usable by a para-utilitarian with the approval of the board. And the service weapon of the director changes in design with each new director. It changes based on their preconceived notions of what the service weapon should look like. It's, it's not important information, but still it's pretty cool. So Jesse's weapon looks, looks far different from Broderick Northmore's weapon, but it's still the same object of power. Anyways. Director Northmore was the first to come in contact with the board, the first to have the service weapon, and he also went a little cuckoo and developed a bit of a god complex. I couldn't really tell you how much of that existed before his contact with the board. He was probably already a bit of an ass, but Director Northmore, for several, several years, led the charge on searching out objects of power within the oldest house. It became an obsession of his to find them and to take their powers. And over time, Director Northmore couldn't contain all that power anymore, and he became exceedingly dangerous. Thankfully, the man who would succeed him, Zachariah Trench, was able to convince Roderick Northmore to enter what we now call the Northmore Sarcophagus Container in the maintenance sector. So Northmore is, um, he's, he's keeping the lights on, uh, so to speak, as I understand it. it was all, it's all very dramatic. Uh, Director Trench was a man apart from Northmore. He had no desire to test the limits of, of the objects of power. He had personal reasons for it, but Director Trench did not engage with objects of power. He was a smart guy, and he put his job as director above everything else. The FBC flourished with him, really. The, um, the Panopticon was built to safely hold altered items and objects of power. Safety procedures were created to keep employees of the FBC within the oldest house safe. Altered world events were thoroughly documented and studied. A ladder of leadership and decision makers were created. All sorts of stuff. And if you'd like to discuss any of these people in particular at length on our next training seminar, be sure to make note of it. They should be off classified record for you by then. <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you last that long. Dr. Theodore Ash Jr. passed away in 1995 and he was succeeded by Casper Darling. Now. That's where this little educational session will end for today. You were all made aware of the events that took place starting in 2019 with our new director. Everything after the year 2001 is still up for review from Bureau leadership and has not been approved for seminar format yet. I'm sure you've all heard of Ordinary. I'm sure you've all heard of The Hiss. I'm sure you've all heard little tidbits here and there about AWEs and OOPs, and I'm I'm sure you're all very curious to know more, so here's what we're going to do until Director Faden and Head of Research Emily Pope can greenlight more material. Submit to me specific names, objects, events, time periods, etc. in the comment section of the seminar, and I will get them onto the desks of, of people who can approve my discussion of them. There are, however, a few sore spots that we'll have to wait on. Namely, we cannot discuss the former. Um, we cannot discuss Barry Wheeler. Susanna or Kate Trench, 
or why pictures of women over the age of 73 are not allowed in the oldest house. Now, we are admittedly very, very short-staffed uh, with the reformation of the FBC. So, tread carefully in the oldest house. Listen to your superiors. Have your manual on you at all times until you know it inside and out, and even then, still keep it on you. You never know if you'll need it. Before I go, we're going to review the FBC visitor evaluation. <clears throat> You walk into the building lobby area. There is someone standing about that you do not recognize, who does not have credentials, who perhaps seems out of place, who is staring at a wall, who has banned materials on their person, who is making direct eye contact with you. It could be any number of things. Let's review the script. <clears throat> this is what you will say. Welcome to the Federal Bureau of Control, established in 1964 as part of an effort to strengthen government relations. We are proud to serve the United States and her people as we strive for transparency and excellence in all aspects of our esteemed nation's infrastructure. If they do not leave, ask them three questions. Are you here to see someone? Are you from New York City or just visiting? How did you find this place? If their answers are sufficiently harmless, explain that this is a secure federal office and that they need to leave. However, for you as new arrivals, should there even be a crumb of suspicion hanging over somebody in the lobby, just hit the level one panic button on your HRA and an appropriate party will, will render aid. Remember, the oldest house is nigh invisible from the street. Random people should not be wandering in. All right, so Group A. Looks like you're going to maintenance sector. All right, off you go. Group B, research. Take your paperwork with you. Make sure you have your ID badge. Group C, touring the containment sector. All right, good luck. Have fun. And Group D, off to investigations with you. Go with Parker here. Thank you all. I hope to see you again soon.